All right, take your Bibles and join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're, we're working our way through Mark. This chapter 6 is a long one. I don't know if you all noticed that. Um, we're going to be in verse 33 today, but um, it goes all the way to verse 56. So we're going to go from um, verse 33 through verse 44. So we'll take up those verses today. Um, and let me, let me go ahead and read that. If you've got your Bibles, you follow along. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Um, here's what the Scripture says. Let me back up to 30 to give the context. Hopefully you remember that from last week. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And He said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. So they had to take a boat to get there, is, is the context here. For they, there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So the crowd had already gathered. Um, so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But look what happens in verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. So they're going out to the wilderness you know, where there's not a city, so they can be alone for a little bit and have some time to recharge their batteries. Because you remember, the disciples just came off of their very first missions outing, where they preached the kingdom gospel, repent, believe, and follow Jesus, right? Um, and, and they healed the sick, they cast out demons, and they were excited, but Jesus knew they were tired and they needed to come aside and rest. <laughs> Jesus had just gotten the hard news that his, probably his best friend and his cousin, John the Baptist, was executed by a wicked Herod. He just got that news as his fellows started to trickle back in. So Jesus' heart is hurting. He's grieving this loss. His men are excited. Talk about mixed emotions, right? And Jesus says, fellows, let's just get away to a deserted place and let's rest a while. But people saw that boat launch and they knew who was on it. And you get the picture? They all ran along the shore keeping their eye on where the boat was going. And they they, by the time Jesus gets to the deserted place, the wilderness, they're already there gathering by the hundreds, and we're going to see even thousands. They ran there on foot from all the cities, look at this, and they arrived before them and came together to him. It doesn't even appear that Jesus was able to get out of the boat. He often taught from the boat because of the crowds were so thick. And Jesus, verse 34, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, when a day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that we may go into, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, Will you give them something to eat? And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven 
blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. That's a pretty good sized crowd, isn't it? So we we've heard this account before. Um, but here's what I'd like you to do. I've titled this sermon How the How the Shepherd King Shepherds You. Really the uh, the main verse we need to look at that I think is the key to unlocking why Mark puts this in his history, in his narrative, in his very fast narrative, is because the anchor point is verse 34. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But I want you to put yourself there, not in the boat with Jesus. No, you and I are the people running along the shore. <laughs> right? We've, we've run for, probably, let's say, three miles to get there, four miles and Jesus pulls in, and, and, and here we are. We're on that shore, and it's very desolate place. There's nothing around. There's no, there's no Walmart. There's not even a, a Chick-fil-A. Uh, it's, it's, it's an empty place. It is wilderness. And uh, so we just drop everything, and we run after Jesus. Now remember, Jesus needs the rest. His heart is heavy, the news of John the Baptist being executed. And his disciples are beat. I mean, they just come back from a serious uh, preaching trip, missions trip, and they have really given of themselves, and they're exhausted. And yet, the Bible tells us that Jesus has compassion on them. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And thousands of people gather. They can imagine this hillside with nothing around. Thousands of people and as the hours tick by, hunger sets in, and it's a long way from town, and walking is your only option. It was probably after 3 o'clock by this point. And in the Middle East, it gets, it gets darker a little earlier. So uh, it's getting late in the day, and they're hungry. They've had nothing to eat all day, and they've run a long way to get there. And honestly, I don't think you and I can relate to these people. Because I want you to ask you to think about this. When's the last time you truly went to bed hungry because there just wasn't food in the house? Or you weren't fasting. But when's the last time you just really didn't have enough to eat? That was a daily experience for most of these people. I mean, they often went to bed hungry. We, we don't even have a concept of that. Even the poorest in our nation can go to bed having eaten something that day. So it's hard for us to relate. But these people, think about where they are. They might even, they got, and, and it's not just men, it's little kids. They might have a hard time even making it back because they got no food fuel to burn for the journey. It takes, it takes energy. And then all of a sudden, as your stomach is talking to you, you hear, you get some news that Jesus wants everybody to sit in groups of 50 and 100. And you move to the grassy area, and everyone sits down where it's nice and green. And you see him way down in the distance lift up something that looks like a, 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 a local loaf of bread, which is like a pita roll. 
and what looked like must have been some smoked fish. And he lifts those, you see him lift them up and you see him pray and bless it. And then he starts breaking those things in pieces. And before long, a basket, a large basket comes to your group and you eat and you eat and you eat. You eat until you're absolutely stuffed, which almost never happens to these people. These people rarely in their whole life would have an opportunity to eat until they're Thanksgiving full. And that's literally what the text tells us. So here we are, we're stuffed to the gills as we watch Jesus create something out of nothing. Five pieces of pita bread and a couple of smoked sardines. And they took up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And being a good Jew, you and I have figured out that this guy just prayed and he created food out of nothing. And we remember Deuteronomy 18, 15, where Moses said that one day God would send another prophet in the spirit of Moses and he would feed them like Moses fed them through God's provision, the manna in the wilderness. These people picked up on that theme. And we know that. He is the Messiah King, they come to this conclusion. And John's Gospel tells us that they decided at that very moment that they were going to seize him and make him king right then and there. Because they recognized the Messianic tag that was given to him through Moses in Deuteronomy as a result of this miracle. And just like Moses had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, this king is going to deliver us out from underneath the hand of the Romans. He is our deliverer. So you get the guys together, you're getting ready to crown this king, and before you know it, as you go down to the shore to, to get him, he's no longer there. He's disappeared into the fog of the misty mountain, and he's gone from your sight. Now, it's important to note this. This is, the, this is interesting. This is the only miracle that Jesus does that is actually recorded in all four Gospels. John's Gospel records a lot of things that we don't see anywhere else. And one of the only things he shares, uh, or the only thing he shares miracle-wise that, that is in concert with Matthew, Mark, and Luke is this account right here. And John is the one who tells us that they were going to forcibly make him the king at this point. But the key verse is verse 34. Verse, and I want you to look at that one more time in verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and he was moved with, what's it say, church? Yes. Compassion. He was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now I think you and I have a, more of a sentimental picture of a shepherd, right? When I, when I, when I tried to communicate to you that, that God through his son Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, right? We have this sentimental version of a shepherd of, of you know, God's, Jesus' pastoral care for us. His protection of and all those things are true. 
But I want to assure you, the people of the first century had a very different take on a shepherd. They looked at a shepherd and his duties more in line of that of a king. It was a leadership role. So when they looked, when Jesus looks at them and sees them as sheep without a shepherd, he sees them as a nation, a kingdom without a king, without someone to rally the troops and to bring them together in a visionary role, not unlike Moses and Joshua. So with that in mind, I want to answer the question this morning, how does the shepherd king shepherd you? And we're going to see that right out of Mark's account here this morning. The very first one is this. Number one is by strengthening you. Number one is by strengthening you. And we see that in verses 35 to 38. So in verse 35, we see that it's getting late. The Bible says the day is far spent, probably after 3 o'clock. And the disciples come to him with a problem and a solution. You know, and you can see it, right? The disciples come to him and say, hey, Jesus, let's just sing the doxology and send these people home or the nearest town so they can get something to eat, right? We, these people, they got to get some food, and they got to be able to do that before it's too dark and, find, and either get home or find a place to stay the night. This, that's a practical solution. Would you agree? And by the way, before we get too hard on these disciples, I love what they did here. As a pastor, people love to bring me problems. They bring very few solutions, right? They didn't just bring up the problem to Jesus. What did they bring up? The solution, right? Now, they had just come off of their first missions trip. They had been very successful. They said, Jesus, we're starting to figure this thing out. See, now we see a problem, and here's a great answer. How about we just pull the plug on this, tell people we'll see you tomorrow, but Jesus has a little bit of a different take on this thing. Because you see, here's the reality. Jesus was strengthening his men. He was training them right here and right now. And he says to them, this is kind of crazy, um, but he says to them in verse 37, okay, he said, that's one solution, right? But he turns to his guys and he said, well, here's an idea. How about you give them something to eat? Now we know at the end of this account, there were 5,000 men. Do you think it was just a promise keeper's men's rally there in the wilderness? No, but in the first century, that's how you counted. You counted the men. There weren't just men. There were women and also what? Children. So I think it's, it's, it's a, a low estim, conservative estimation that there were probably 15,000 people all over that hillside. 5,000 of men, right? That's, that's a good bit of folks. And Jesus says, well, yeah, I could dismiss them or you guys could give them something to eat. Now, now, again, I know you know the rest of this historical account, but put yourself in their place. If you don't know the rest, what are you thinking? Yeah, Y-B-H, Jesus. <laughs> and what's that stand for, church? Yeah, but how? How, how is how's that going to work? Do you realize what that would cost? One of them says, and it was probably, it was either Peter or Judas. Uh, he's, he said, hey, that's eight months wages. That's like working full time and taking all your money for eight months. That's what it would cost to feed these people. 
And what are the other logistical problems? Where are they? They're in the middle of nowhere. Even if we had the money, which we don't, we, gotta, we have to walk to a town that's going to have a, this much food, and we have to have pay for it and haul it all back and feed these people. Do you see where this is a problem? Does anybody here see why this was not their solution? Anyone see why they thought Jesus was maybe a little overtired <laughs> and not seeing this thing straight? Right? Any of you ever done that to God yourself? Yeah, but God, you're not down here. Let me tell you what's going on. Obviously, you're missing something. I've, 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 had, I've said those prayers. Anybody? Yeah. No, you, you give him something to eat. And then he asks, here's, here's the question. Well, what do you have? What do you got? And so they go around, and, and, and the other gospels clue us in where it came from. But some kid offered up his happy meal uh, to the disciples. And so he said, how many loaves do you have? And that's like a little pita, pita bread, pita pocket. Not the big ones that we eat. These were the small ones that are still common in Palestine today. And uh, they got this kid's lunch. They said, we got five. Um, and then we got these two little smoked sardines. And again, five little buns and two smoked sardines for 15,000 people. Yeah, that'll work. They still, they still don't see it. What is Jesus doing? Well, he's shepherding, of course. And here he was shepherding his guys by strengthening them. He needed them to see with eyes that weren't just physical. He needed them to look past the impossible and see a king. And he knew that they were going to need to be stronger than that if they were going to engage in his mission and that this event would help them grow in very real and significant ways, and it did. A couple of thoughts here real quick. Number one underneath this is that as Jesus strengthened his men and strengthens us, here's how he did it. Number one is he showed them people's true need. He said, guys, open your eyes and look at what these people really need. Now remember, they had just returned from a great successful missions trip, preaching the kingdom gospel and confirming the message by the miracles. And look at this, don't miss it, don't miss it. And God puts them right, in the, right after a great success, God puts them right into a situation which did nothing but highlight their inability. That ever happened to you? If not, it will. Put your seatbelt on. Right? I can't, I'm done. I'm, I can't do this. I mean, this is, this is over my pay grade. He, he, he puts them in a situation that just highlights their inability. What are they going to do with five pita breads, buns, and a couple of smoked sardines? But who did a crowd come for? Did they come for the disciples or Jesus? They came for Jesus, not the disciples. And they needed Jesus. And by the way, a newsflash for you, it's still true today. People don't need you. They need Jesus. So bring him. Amen? He's the one they needed. Not us, but him. So he showed them their inability. But he also 
by showing them people's true need. But then he also taught them compassion. You know, he got these guys together to, and went to that specific place for a retreat. And those dang people ruined his retreat. <laughs> you know, disciples are going to get away with Jesus and have a, have a ministry retreat, and these people ruined it. I got a friend of mine who was bemoaning some of the issues he's having in his church. And he said, you know, the ministry would be phenomenal if it just weren't for people. I'm like, well, ministry is kind of people, <laughs> you know. Uh, he, he had to, Jesus had to teach them compassion. And it's really important at verse 34. I mean, Jesus is exhausted. His heart's broken about John, the Baptist. And yet he sees these people, and the Bible says he had compassion for them because they were like sheep with no shepherd. And you all know that sheep with no shepherd are not going to make it. They're just not. And Jesus is moved with compassion. He's teaching the disciples to have compassion. And I guess the question there is, do we? And then this last thought under here is that he made them dependent. He made them dependent. Jesus was teaching them to focus on what they had, not on what they didn't have. Remember the old song? Miss um, Winnie, you probably remember this one, Little is Much When God is in It. Right? Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Look, look, God doesn't need a lot of things in order to work through you. He just needs you. Right? And that little bit that you got, that's enough. And that was a lesson he was teaching them. Trust me, God can do a lot with a little. Don't tell me what we don't have. Tell me what we do have. Let's consecrate what we do have to God and see what God can do with what we do have, not with what we don't have. Because here's the reality. God's never done a thing with what you don't have. He's done a lot with what you do. Amen? So stop using what you don't have as an excuse for what you do have. Amen? There's a whole sermon in there. He, what was he doing? He's training these men to be dependent on him. Hey, I don't need much, but I need, I need the little that you do have. Give me what you got and watch what I can do. Because honestly, I'm sure the temptation was, hey, the 12 of us can split this up. We might all get a little bit, right? <laughs> and then we'll let the people figure it out for themselves. But he, he made them dependent. How does the shepherd king shepherd you? Number two is by satisfying you. We see this in verse 39 through 44. This is crazy, but he says, Then he commanded them to, to, to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. By the way, don't miss that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. What do sheep eat? Green stuff. Right? Do you think these good Jewish people miss that significance? I don't think so. And then he does what, what we call a creation miracle. He makes something out of nothing. Only God can do that. Amen. How do you feed 15,000 people with two sardines and five buns? How do you do it? That's a, that's a God-sized miracle. Now remember... Those apostles, those disciples were all in a boat with him when Jesus stood up and 
rebuked the wind and the waves and calmed the sea. Remember that? And the Bible says they were, they were exceedingly afraid after that. And they said amongst themselves, who is this guy that even nature obeys him? What was that? That was a creation miracle. They said, hey, only God can calm the seas. Well, only God can give manna. Only God can provide uh, food where there's nothing. And that was not lost on that crowd. Mark opens his gospel saying, this is, the, this is the historical account of Jesus, the Son of God. Here's who he is. Now, I remind you this whole time. Mark knew who he was. You and I know who Jesus is. But the guys in the story are learning who he is. And the disciples had already learned it. But now about 15,000 people sitting in the middle of nowhere are getting ready to learn it. Right? Because this is a creation miracle. And it was not lost on them. It was not lost on them. Here's Jesus doing God's stuff, creating much out of nearly nothing. And it speaks to his deity. And it shows that the kingdom is a kingdom of satisfaction. Because they all ate and were satisfied, verse 22. It literally means, that word satisfied means to be filled to the brim. Which was a rarity for these people. I mean, this is sweatpants language. This is post-Thanksgiving meal. This is when you've had your, your second round. I don't know what you do in your house. I don't know why we do this, but I grew up, we made stuffing sandwiches. Stuffing's bread. No one ever told me that when I was a kid. So we make bread, bread sandwiches after we ate the first round. Why, why my mother let us do that, I don't understand. But it was the best thing. We put a little tomato on there, some of that uh, cranberry sauce, pickles. Put that all in. That is like a carb heart attack. Man, when we would eat that, and we weren't even hungry when we made those stuffing sandwiches. But we, we made them and we ate them, right? And then you go into that turkey coma on the couch and you watch the kickoff, the football game, and you're snoring by the, before they return it, right? That kind of, that's, that's the kind of language we have here. These people are stuffed, and it's a kingdom of satisfaction. And Jesus wants them to see that. But I want you to notice something. Before Jesus ever fed the people food, he taught them. Don't miss this. Before he ever heals anybody, which it doesn't say he does that here. Before anybody's healed, before anything miraculous happens, such as feeding everybody with a happy meal, 15,000 people. Before any of that happens, the most important thing has happened. And it is for hours he taught them. He preached to them the kingdom gospel. Repent Believe that I am the Messiah and follow me. Turn away from your sin. Turn to me and follow me. Before giving them food, he gave them the word. Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. Jesus has so much compassion on the multitude that he fed them the truth before he fed them a meal. And there's a good precedence there. The second thing I want you to notice is how Jesus fed the people with bread and fish. You know, you know I like this? Because his kingdom doesn't stop at the theoretical. It's every day. I mean, that was a normal lunch for these folks. A roll and some, some smoked fish. But it's real stuff. It's everyday life. It's practical. And when this kingdom comes, Jesus is not just interested in... in, in uh, Gaining spiritual ground, though he is, 
he's he cares about you. What you care about, he cares about. Isn't that crazy? Do you think the leadership of this nation really cares about you individually? And I'm not getting on the leadership of this nation. I'm just saying, how can they? Right? But this king does. This king cares about what, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Jesus comes along and offers to supply you, to provide for you, to take care of you. He wants to feed you, not to take from you. And his kingdom, this kingdom that is breaking in right here, that's the kingdom we need. Jesus is not coming to take from you, but to add to you. He wants to feed you. Isn't that great? He wants to feed you the truth first, but then he's going to take care of your physical needs as well. Well, what a word that is for us today. How does a shepherd king shepherd you? Not, not just... Not just by feeding you. But also, number three, by steering you. How many of you know we need to be steered in the right direction sometimes? Right? We really do. We, we need help. Earlier I pointed out to you that, that they probably looked at a shepherd in a less sentimental way than we do. To them, a shepherd for Israel was a warrior leader general for a nation. And that's what they were looking at. And he demonstrates here when he says he commanded his men to get the people in groups of 50s and 100. Oddly enough, in, in that time, the Jews hated Rome. And where they were in that little wilderness area in the, in the, in the northeast section of, of the Sea of Galilee where there was no towns, you, you know who hung out there? Rebel groups. The Zealots, one of whom was one of Jesus' disciples. One of Jesus' disciples was a member of the Zealots. who were They would go over there because nobody was there, and they would make a plan using guerrilla warfare to try to overthrow Rome and to pester them to the point that they gave up and left. So that whole side of, of the Sea of Galilee was well known as, as a hangout for the Zealots who wanted to overthrow Rome. And what is Jesus doing? He's putting them in groups of 50s and 100. Why is that significant? That's what you do when you get ready for battle. You have your groups of 50 and you have your groups of 100 because war is coming. That was not lost on these people either. But this was a great banquet. A great banquet. And Jesus steers them to get organized and to get ready for what is coming. All this should demonstrate that he wants to shepherd you in more than mere sentimental ways. God wants to lead you in the kingdom of God. He wants to enlist you in God's battle. And he wants to go before you in the victory of God. And he's looking for somebody to believe that today. Is that somebody you? This is how our God operates. Because war is afoot. Here's the good news. He already won it. He won it on the cross, and he, he wants to lead you into that victory. He wants to become your shepherd, the driving force in your life, the one that you follow, because you know that he is going to feed you the truth, and he's going to take care of your needs. So it's our time to do something. In Mark's grand narrative here, it's so strange how this thing unfolds. These disciples are still tired. They're even more tired after a whole day of teaching. And now they have to be waiters. 
passing out food. And not only passing out food, they have to be busboys. They got to go behind to pick up the leftovers. And, and there's 12 baskets full. By the way, somebody remind me how many apostles are there? Hmm, I'm sure that's a coincidence. He said, not only, fellows, when you serve me and do what I say, not only is it going to be enough for your people, I got so much left over, you can't even eat it. I got a, I got a basket just for you. That's something. You know, a lot of people, a lot of us today, have invented many missions in our modern time. Causes that give them a reason or movements that are meant to bring them fulfillment or experiences that deliver them from the monotony of life. But Jesus and his kingdom call us. He sees humanity as shepherdless in need of the one true king. He's moved with compassion when he sees us flounder in search of meaning. And he cries out this from John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what do we do? We go to him. We let the shepherd king shepherd us. We let him displace and replace all the lesser shepherds who've hijacked your life. Because only in Jesus are you going to be satisfied. And his men needed to learn that lesson. You know, a day and a half ago, I was casting out demons. And today, I'm a busboy. Cool. <laughs> Whatever he wants. Because what I learned today was so much more valuable than what I learned a day and a half ago. What I learned today is the same Jesus I need to depend on to cast out a demon is the same Jesus I need to depend on for my next meal. And he, as faithful as he was in casting out a demon, is as faithful as he is in providing my next meal. He is faithful. There's no lack in his kingdom. And I've learned to be more dependent. I thought I was dependent on him when I was casting out demons. That was nothing. What I saw today made me so much more dependent. I thought I was really something and had a lot of ability until he told me to feed 15,000 people with a Happy Meal, and I realized I'm in over my head. And all he does is pray and start passing. And we take up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I need to keep my eyes on him. Did they get it fully? Nope. That'll come in Acts chapter 2. That'll all down on them when the Holy Spirit shows up. But today, the Holy Spirit's already been. Amen? He's here. Are you satisfied with your shepherd today? Or are you serving lesser shepherds who are hijacking your heart? Say, how can I know? Oh, that's easy. How's your heart? How is your heart today? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you a big, bigger burden to bear. Is that what it says? No. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. And my burden, light. How's your heart? If it's like this, you need to let the shepherd king shepherd you. We've forgotten some things. And maybe Mark sticks this right here in the history as it happened for us to remember we need him more than we think we do and he's better than we think he is. If that's true for them, it's true for us today. So let's stand and let's consider that today.
as our musicians come, they're going to sing a song. And as they do, I want you to pray. You might want to come and kneel at an old-fashioned altar. You might want to pray right where you are. But I want you to think about how is your heart? And are you letting the shepherd king shepherd you? It's a fair question today, isn't it? Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you to, to bring life and faith to what's been heard today. What, a, what an interesting um, history that even John records the one miracle that makes it into all four accounts of the life of King Jesus on this earth. And it's not the magnitude of this miracle, although it's, it's a stout miracle to be sure. It's the timing. It gives us a window into how you shepherd us. And it's not always in the way that we think. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and wisdom to apply this to our very own hearts today. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to these people. That, 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 that you would bring healing and peace where there is sickness and strife. And that our hearts would rest in the shepherd king who shepherds us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.